Hey, everybody. My name is Jasper Smith, also known as Mr. Bill Wealth. Some people call me a financial educator, financial planner, financial advisor, their credit counselor, insurance guy, investment guy, retirement guy, probably other names. I think financial concierge sums it up quite nicely. I've worked in the financial services arena close to 15 years now, and I've experienced people from all walks of life. The key thing that I've discovered which sets the wealthy apart from others is one thing. The wealthy have a comprehensive financial game plan. This game plan is something they commit to, update as needed, and it's appropriate for their current stage of life. No matter where you might be on your bill wealth journey, I hope you find the stories and information shared on this podcast useful. Take what you learn and apply it to your life. And please share what you learn with your family, friends, coworkers, and community. Why? Because the more you share, the more you'll help me disrupt generational poverty for everyone so their kids' kids' kids can live a life of privilege. We kick off every episode with story time. During some episodes, you'll hear an inspiring story that will provide you with the encouragement or motivation that's needed to face your financial fears head on. While other stories will be cautionary tales that might help you avoid financial setbacks in life. Some stories will be general observations that Mr. Bill Wealth has made from living life as a financial services professional. Either way, we can learn so much from the actions of others and consider maybe jotting down a few notes while you listen. Oh yeah, you'll even hear some personal stories from Mr. Bill Wealth himself. All right, let's get to it. The title of this story <clears throat> The title of this story, One Conversation Changed Her Life. I have assisted a ton of people with improving their credit and it's actually pretty simple all right wait i like i'm a financial guy so like i've done a lot of work in the industry and i say credit is simple but come come to think about it it's really not and it's not that simple because of how our society has i don't know misinformed people perpetuated myths and so on and so forth. So I say it's simple because I'm an actual expert, but for a lot of people dealing with their credit isn't that simple. But I feel strongly that if you have a stable income or, or multiple incomes and an easy to follow plan, and I do mean easy, plus a little bit of time, that will help you to improve your credit. So again, having some stable income, having an easy to follow plan and giving it a little bit of time, your credit can improve pretty quickly. And let's just say life happens to you and you screw up your credit again. All you have to do is apply the same formula to fix it again. And I think that's where a lot of people come into this conflict of I'm trying to improve my credit. I'm not seeing it really move, but they're not doing enough things to really promote that positive activity. And so you, you don't see a lot of growth, you get discouraged, or you've improved your credit. Life happens, now you're back in this, ah, God, my credit is jacked up again. But you can fix it again. And the, the thing I want people to really understand is that 
you can do this fixing credit, messing it up, fixing it, messing it up forever. Like you can just keep doing that. The idea is if I learn how to effectively manage my credit, even when life happens, I know how to really get back on track. And it doesn't matter what happens to you, whether it's filing for a bankruptcy, going through a divorce, losing a job, whatever it might be. Once you've built the, I'll call it the muscle memory, and you understand how our credit system works, you know that if I work my plan in a relatively short amount of time, I know my credit is going to improve. All right. So let me tell you about this client who had come to me and she immediately confessed that her top priority was fixing her credit. And I asked her to tell me like how bad it was. <laughs> and it was bad. Like all of her scores were in the low 500s. And you can just kind of see it in her face as we were talking. Like it's, it's a problem. And it's one of those things that I ask prospective clients, what's like the top two or three things you really want to focus on with your financial program? And for her, it was credit. And she's like, I got to get it done because I am just stressed out because my scores are so low and she's having to delay some things in her life because her credit scores were so low. Now, what I would also share next is, and I love people who can do this. She was brutally honest about why her credit was so messed up. She admitted something that is challenging for a lot of people. She was a shopaholic. Bingo, we've got our issue. Now, shopping is something that, or becoming a shopaholic is something that you've built up over years. And for her, she was living above her means, trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to look like she was doing better than she really was in life. And so she got into this mess. Now, she had a job. So I was like, okay, all isn't lost because you have a good paying job. So it's just, again, we're going to look back at that formula that I just talked about a few minutes ago. She's got the stable income. She didn't have the plan, which is what I was going to help her with. And then we talked about if we can just give it a little bit more time, then I know this score will go up tremendously. So this was a really easy case. And the fact that she was so open about it made it so like great to work with her because being open and honest about your mess or your situation lets me know that you're ready. Because if you come to the meeting and you're telling me what's wrong, but we don't kind of peel back some additional layers, you won't get the success. And, and mind you, she shared that this credit thing had been going on for a while. Like she's she's had bad credit for it was almost like the last five or six years. So the fact that she was, again, open and honest right off the bat, I knew it was the right time for her to really get moving and improving her credit. Because again, people who don't open up and get real with themselves, you will continue to struggle. So until you can really look yourself in the mirror and say, I have got to do better, it's going to be a problem for you no matter what that issue is. Until you can do that, you're not going to be able to move forward or you'll get a little bit of success here and there. and You'll get these like, hey, I'm doing it, but I'm not really doing it. And then you fall back into this rut. So for this young lady, I appreciated her willingness to be vulnerable with me right off the bat 
because it said to me, she is ready to do what it takes to move forward. So let's fast forward about a year and a half after we met. She had done some incredible work. Now, when I met her, again, all the scores were in the low fives and she had nine credit cards, nine of them. And so what we did is we sat down and we just prioritized which ones should we attack first and we'll follow this program. And as long as you can stay disciplined, I know you'll get the results you want. So again, a year and a half goes by. She has nine credit cards. And so when we do this update a year and a half after that first meeting, she had paid off seven of her nine credit cards and her scores had jumped almost 200 points across the board. And those last two cards that she was updating me on at this meeting were going to be paid off in the next few months. So again, just as a reminder, I want to make sure I solidify this point in your brains. She had stable income. She had a very good paying job, but she didn't have the plan, which is what we worked on over that you know, initial meeting. And we had a few touch points along this kind of journey this year and a half. And I couldn't tell her it was going to take a year and a half to really see this 200 point improvement. But I set the expectation that it won't happen overnight. And if she can be patient, I know it's going to work. Like I almost said, it's, it's guaranteed to work if you just follow this easy plan. And the plan for her was all we did was list out all the debts on a sheet of paper. I didn't need any fancy technology. I just said, write down all your credit cards and all of their balances. I didn't even talk about the interest rates. I just said, let me see the balances first. And so we, we attacked the smallest balance and worked our way up. Now, if you're hip to the game, this is called the debt snowball technique. A ton of financial experts and gurus promote this effort or strategy because it works and it works because it gets you to focus. So for my client, I got her to focus. I said, look, you got nine of these things. I don't care. I want to focus on the smallest one that we can knock out right away and then we'll work our way up this ladder. So she did that with those accountability calls or check ins that we had. She got the results she was looking for. Now, could she have been more aggressive? Absolutely. But I'll take that as incredible progress because before me with me, she wasn't going to figure it out. And not only did she go from, you know, this poor to amazing credit, she racked up a ton of rewards points by paying off a lot of those credit card balances. And so we had this whole conversation about using credit effectively to your benefit, leveraging rewards and points and cash back and all that good stuff. And so she actually was able to see this credit card lifestyle when it's done the right way, how it can improve your actual overall happiness. Because now you understand the game, you have a plan, you're leveraging and using credit to your advantage, not the other way around. So on this final note, just because everybody's probably wondering, I never told her to stop shopping because that habit might not ever be broken. I simply suggested that she shop, but make sure to pay off the credit card balance in full and maximize all those rewards. That was it, y'all. Had a stable income. We created a simple, easy plan for her to follow. And with a little bit of time, she drastically improved her credit. It's now time for the 
if you were me segment. People are always searching for those financial gems that can assist them with achieving financial greatness. And with that comes three questions I'm constantly asked. One, what do you think I should do? Two, if you were me, what would you do? And three, what do people in my situation typically do? When you're putting together your bill wealth plan, it's got to be personalized and unique to your situation. However, when people ask me those questions, they are looking for blanket advice. I generally don't know enough about their situation to make a proper recommendation. So I do my best to give general guidance that they could have probably found doing a quick search on the internet. It's then up to them to act on that information or sit on it and do nothing. I figured I'd put myself in someone else's shoes and tell them what I'd actually do. So if you're listening to this and you and your spouse don't talk money, here's what I would do. I'm first going to change that dynamic because we got to talk about money. We are married. So we have got to figure something out. And, and I'm hoping that if I was in this situation where I didn't talk money with my spouse, I got to figure out how we're going to start this conversation. Like I can't just spring it up on my spouse and say, Hey, let's talk money today or run up on them when they're in a bad mood to talk money. Like I need to put some preparation <laughs> into how I'm going to approach my spouse to talk about money, especially if it's something that we've kind of avoided. Now I always would err on the side of caution that I would have preferred to have the conversation prior to getting married but I understand that money's a taboo subject. And despite people, you know, coming together and saying I do, they don't talk about money. It's kind of weird to me. But if I'm in your situation and we didn't get it done prior to getting married, well, now is the time that we've got to really sit down and hash some things out. And it's really starts with do I understand like how my spouse thinks and feels about money? I need to know that. That is a question I am going to ask. If I, if I don't have this conversation with my spouse, I need to start with that question. Like, how do you think and feel about money? And, and then I would maybe dig a little deeper. And if I, if I already, well, if I didn't already know how they grew up, and maybe I knew how they grew up, but I didn't ask that extra question of, despite how you grew up, how did your family or your parents or your guardians have conversations about money. And I'm being mindful that some people didn't grow up in a household with two parents, but no matter who your guardian was, like how was money discussed if it ever was? So I want to make sure that my spouse can just tell me that story. That may be where I start. If again, I'm not talking to them about money, I may need to start there to get some background before I just hop into all this crazy planning and stuff. So if I get a little bit of background on how they were raised and how money was discussed or handled, then that gives me a little bit of, uh, I'll say comfort in knowing that maybe I have to do the exact opposite just simply because of how they grew up and experienced money. And I also have to encourage my spouse that we can change things. So if your family when you grew up, didn't talk about money, 
Well, let's not repeat that cycle. Let's be the difference. Uh, let's be the change makers and make it kind of a thing where you get married, you talk money and just make it an open and honest conversation because partly because I want to know if my spouse is a spender or a saver. Hell, I need to know if I'm a spender or a saver. Generally, you never see. Well, I won't say generally. Both of y'all could be spenders, honestly, and maybe both of you are savers. But there's always one person in a relationship that's a little bit better at spending and there's one that's a little bit better at saving. It's typically how it works out. There's always an exception to the rule, but I need to understand spending. You know, when we go out to eat, you know, how how are we how are we doing this thing? You know, how are we always going to decide maybe who pays? Do we have a joint account, you know, with, with groceries or for ordering or getting food delivered? Like, how do we want to do that? Because you may say, well, I love the convenience of ordering food, but not realizing that if we just went grocery shopping and cooked, we could save a lot more money. But you got to have that conversation because if I don't talk to my spouse about money, we're going to have some problems. So I need to understand those spending habits. I also got to think about all the bills we have. So, I mean, we could think about everything, but just even like utility bills, like how are we doing that? Are we splitting it? Are we saying, hey, you take the bills that are due in the first half of the month. I'll take the ones that are due in the second half. Again, are we just going to split them all down the middle? Maybe we have a joint account that can cover all the bills, but we we should. We should have that conversation because that way, we, we give ourselves a better chance of being successful long-term in the marriage by having this conversation. Now, I'm not saying people get divorced because they don't talk money, but financial issues usually come up in most divorce proceedings. And it's primarily because there wasn't an open and honest conversation about money, which is why if I'm in your shoes and I don't talk to my spouse currently about money, I need to change that dynamic. Well, unless you don't want to stay married, because I would want to stay married and I would want to have that conversation because maybe we come up with a system that works for us. Right. I'm not trying to compare myself to every single couple that's out there, but maybe it's this dividing conquering. Right. You take the half. I take a half. Maybe we split everything down the middle. You know, if we having or having shared expenses, you know, we can make that happen. If we're planning for a vacation, both of us should be saving money into an account to go on the vacation. I've even heard some radical things that it works for a couple. Doesn't mean it's going to work for you, but the wife and husband were both gainfully employed. They were executives uh, at a bank and the wife made more than the husband, but the husband enjoyed taking care of the family finances. So they had this talk, right? They weren't afraid to had a talk. So turns out that the husband would always inform the wife of what he was doing on behalf of the family. Oh, I should say they also have two, two children. So they would have the conversation. He would handle all the finances, but he would give her a report. Mind you, I'm talking to bankers. They're okay talking about money and doing reports. So he would give her a report. So she would always be in the know. And to even extend it a little further, and here's where it gets really interesting. The wife had a weekly allowance. And I was like, what? And what she said to me is that my husband ensures that I am taking care of like my savings, my investments, my insurances, and he's making sure that I've already set all those things up. And so as a way for me to not overspend because she was a shopper, she agreed to receiving an allowance every week. 
And so no matter what she wanted to do that wasn't necessarily for the family, could have strictly been for her, she had the freedom to spend her allowance however she saw fit because hubby had already taken care of everything else. Well, he helped her to take care of it. So she was free. And some people, when I tell that story, they're like, she's a grown woman on an allowance, but it works. They are a happily married couple and they are doing all the right things financially. But I would maybe consider doing something like that. Maybe not the extreme of, you know, putting my, my spouse on an allowance, but it works for them. And that's the thing is that if I'm you and me and my spouse don't talk money, I want to get to that level of comfort where it's just a normal day in life where there's no tension when we talk about money. Things are getting paid for on time. We're saving, we're investing, we're thinking about the long term. It doesn't have to be this uncomfortable thing that we cannot discuss. We are adults and we have embarked on this journey of being together until death do us part, hopefully. So I need to get very comfortable having the conversation and maybe it's a little bumpy starting out. Like it doesn't work out perfectly from the get-go. So maybe I present this to my spouse one day and I slowly try to get them to see why talking about the family finances is important or just talking money. And then I gradually begin to build out this, this game plan with my spouse included and letting them know that once we get past this, we can go back to enjoying our lives. It is the most incredible thing when you see a, a couple working in unison and they're on the same page and they're just doing things. It's like, it's like clockwork. And if you're not currently talking to your spouse about money, you should, because if I'm you, I want to have that level of comfort and, and ease to go through life and talk money with the one that I love and have said I do too. All right. So hopefully the tips that I've shared will be useful to you as somebody who doesn't currently have a conversation about money with their spouse. As always, you should consult with your own financial professionals to ensure the moves you're making as it relates to your bill wealth plans are in your best interest. I want to give you the listener a big shout out for tuning in. I'd love for you to join me on my quest to disrupt generational poverty. Whenever you're ready, head over to thebillwealthmovement.com and fill out the contact us section at the bottom of the page. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at TBWMovement and on Instagram at thebillwealthmovement. I also want to ask you a question. Do you have an inspiring story, a cautionary tale, or some good old Bill Wealth advice? I'd love to hear from you. You can send your story or advice to share at readytobuildwealth.com. And that's the number two. So again, that's share at readytobuildwealth.com or leave it on our share voicemail at 888-56-SHARE. Again, the share voicemail is 888-56-SHARE. I'll be looking forward to hearing from you. Well, that'll do it. Until next time, just know that I'll be working tirelessly to disrupt generational poverty for everyone so their kids, kids, kids can live a life of privilege. <laughs>